Um, so last week, at the end of the service, I talked a little bit about the building project, which is fast approaching, um, and how to allow some of the big work to be done. We're going to have a couple of Sundays next month where this building will be closed and we won't gather all together like this. And instead, our hope is that we will meet in our missional communities for some different expressions of church. Because this kind of corporate gathering here, where we meet as family, is only one part of what life is about as a follower of Jesus. So it was a way of leading into that little season of not being in the building. We wanted to put together a series of talks that answer some whys, or probably not answer them, but at least talk about them. Um, So why does it matter that we're a family? Why does it matter that we're one body? Why do we meet together? Why do we gather? Why do we scatter? And we're starting this morning, as Caroline said, with why do we follow Jesus? And in some ways, we've answered that question this morning. Throughout our song worship, we heard the gospel over and over again. Jesus is our living hope. He brings us from death to life. He brings us out of the grave. And that was great. I really enjoyed that. Um, But to dig into the question a little bit more, we're going to take a look at John 14, verses 1 to 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So I think this is such a great passage. I love how it shows the relationship that Jesus had with his disciples. They seem caught in this place of not quite understanding what's going on, or what Jesus is talking about. But there's no fear there. They're not afraid to ask questions or to tell him they don't understand or even to make demands of Jesus. Show us the Father and we will be satisfied. How audacious a question is that from Philip? Show us the Father. Show us God in all of his glory and might and majesty and love and then we will be satisfied. Then we will be okay, even if we do not understand anything else about what you're saying and where you're going. I think Jesus must have been banging his head against a wall by this point. He'd been traveling with and teaching the disciples for three years. 
They had had a front row seat to all of his earthly ministry, and the penny still hadn't dropped. Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who has seen Jesus has seen the Father in all of his glory and might and majesty and love. Jesus both reveals the Father and shows us the way to the Father. He is the visible image of the invisible God. Through Jesus, we get to see and know and understand God in a way that just hadn't been possible beforehand. Before Jesus, when God appeared to his people, he was a pillar of cloud or he was a pillar of fire. and His presence was so holy that only those who had rigorously prepared themselves through ceremonial washing and through sin offerings could dare to enter in. His presence was contained to arks and tabernacles and temples that were built to very specific instructions. There's a point where when David was king, the Philistines stole the ark containing the presence of God and it was lost for a while. But when the presence was with the Philistines, it brought plague and it brought pestilence. And so they put the presence of God on a cart with some cattle and sent it back to the Israelites. And it got lost. It ended up in the house of a man called Obed-Edom. And his house just experienced blessing for months simply because the presence of God was resting there. And then David came along and decided that the ark should be in Jerusalem. And so he came and the presence of God continued on its way. But throughout the Old Testament, there are countless stories that show us the wonder and the weirdness of human interaction with the physicality of God. But then, Jesus. In Jesus, God makes himself familiar to us, knowable to us. We go from knowing that God made us in his own image to knowing a God who made himself in ours. But it's more than that. As we've, as we've just said in the creed, which was not planned, but is excellent, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing and emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus didn't just look like us. He came with a purpose. In our reading, he calls himself the way, the truth, and the life. In his life and in his teaching, he showed us the heart of the Father and modelled for us what life in connection with the Father looks like. And in his death and in his resurrection, he made a way for us to the Father. We get to live under grace instead of working to do life under the law. Instead of scrubbing ourselves physically and mentally into ritual purity, we get to call God Daddy. We get to come to him in intimacy and relationship. Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit, and as it says in Romans 8, this spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. By him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. In following Jesus, we find this whole new identity as children of God. Co-heirs with Christ, as Romans 8 goes on to say. 
when I was writing this talk, I was half tempted just to read the entirety of Romans 8 because Paul does this such a phenomenal job of explaining why we might follow Jesus. So I'm not going to read all of it, but I am going to read a bit, starting at verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul's writing is so rich, and there is so much to chew over. There is no condemnation for us who are in Jesus. We get to live as beloved, honoured children of God. We get to live free from shame free from the sin that tries to entangle us, free to live in obedience to all that our Father is calling and sending us to. And that, I think, is where we often get stuck. All that freedom and all that belovedness, it doesn't quite compute. It's not how the world we live in operates. Almost everything is transactional or comes with strings. We don't get things for free. We know how to earn things and we know how to buy things. So the extravagance of what we get from Jesus, love, grace, salvation, eternal life, forgiveness, held against the fact that we could never earn any of those things, it makes no sense. But at the same time, it's the best news I know. Can you imagine what the world might look like if every follower of Jesus lived like this stuff was true? Can you imagine that? If we lived free from shame, if we lived free of our chains and just ran. And I've, I've realized this week just how far from freedom I am in some areas of life still. Like Caroline said, I've not been very well. I had a sinus infection. Um, so on Monday, I was in a lot of pain and my brain was foggy to the extent I, like, I couldn't think in sentences. But I still went to work because my default position is to try and prove myself and to prove my worth. And if I'm not in work, then I feel like I'm letting people down, and that feels like failure, and it feels like shame. But thankfully, the goodness and the grace of God were made manifest in Caroline, who sent me home from work to go and sleep, and she took me to the walk-in centre, and I got some antibiotics. And God is good. And in some ways, that's such a small example. You know, I didn't take a sick day. But it's also a symptom that shows that I'm not walking in all the freedom that Jesus paid for on the cross. I'm not walking in all of the belovedness that is mine as the daughter of God. And so God's invitation to me this year is to remember that I am his daughter and to re-engage with his father heart. And some of that, I think, is going to be about following the treasure maps and the trails of breadcrumbs from my past walk with him. But it's also about chucking the compass out a window and following where he leads and finding where he's going next. And that's where God has been with me this week. But I would imagine, or probably even bet, that most of us here can think of an occasion this week where we didn't act like we know we're loved. Sometime this week where we let fear, judgment, pride, anger, selfishness rule our actions and our choices. 
Because this isn't abstract, this life of following Jesus. This isn't a text to be studied on a Sunday and left in the building. What we believe right down at our core shows up in how we live and how we interact with the world. In our passage from John, the disciples showed that they didn't yet understand or believe the fullness of who Jesus was and what he was doing. It shows up here in their questions and it shows up in the way they scatter when Jesus is arrested and goes to the cross. But then Jesus, Jesus impossibly and wonderfully comes through death and defeats it. And the disciples get it. It clicks. The pieces all fall into place and they go to the ends of the earth in the name of Jesus, preaching the gospel and bringing good news and making disciples of all nations. They got what Jesus was saying about where he was going and his father and the rooms in the house because they understood. They were able to leave behind the shame and the fear and the confusion and to go. They were able to go and do things that Jesus said were greater works, all for the glory of the father and the son. And the job hasn't changed. We are still called and sent to share the gospel person by person. (coughs) Fear or pride or anger or whatever might have tried to win at some point in our lives this week, but that is not the end of our story. As we believe in and follow Jesus, he says to us right here in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. His will for us is peace and security in him as he sends us out. And that's not to say we won't experience trouble as we go. Paul, for example, gives great account in his letters of the trials and tribulations he experiences along the way. But the joy set before him is enough to keep him going, just as the joy set before Jesus was enough to keep him on his path to the cross. And the joy set before us is knowing that Jesus has gone on ahead of us to the Father's house to prepare a room so that we get to be where he is. And the beauty of it all is that we get to bring as many people as we can with us by inviting them into adventure too. One of the verses I shared earlier was Romans 8.15. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. In the message version, this verse talks about how we are not called to a timid, grave-tending life but rather to be adventurously expectant. So I know it's a paraphrase, but I like the poetry of that. Because I can give you Bible passages and tell you stories about why we follow Jesus, but at the end of the day, it's a choice that we all have to make. It's a choice that I would imagine many of us, many of us here have made at some point. Somewhere along the way, we have to decide if we want to be in or we want to be out. Because there's the big picture, whole life decision of... Am I going to follow Jesus? But there's also the daily decisions that we make that shape what life looks like. So maybe you're following Jesus and you're absolutely bossing it and you're praying huge prayers in his name and you're bringing countless people around you to faith. Or maybe you've had a week that's been a bit more like mine and you've noticed a bit more grave tending and a bit less adventure than you might have liked. Maybe your decision today simply needs to be to turn back to Jesus and through him hear the voice of the Father saying that he loves you. 
In a little bit, we will come to the communion table. And so my invitation, my challenge, my suggestion for response this morning is that as you come, come as you are. Because Jesus meets us right where we are. But in his grace, he doesn't leave us there. But we get to come in honesty with where we are this morning. Communion is about connection and communication. One definition of it is the sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings. So come this morning and share with Jesus your intimate thoughts and feelings, the good and the bad, especially the bad. Come to the table and receive what Jesus has for you. Amen.